Hi, I'm Lisa Lloyd, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and business owner of It's Time for Change, I meet so many talented individuals who are aligned with my mantra, get people right, get business right. I'm going to be talking to some of these super interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. Today, I'm joined by Charlotte Wilson, a sales director at ServiceNow, who has an impressive record of leading, training, and developing staff. So hello, Charlotte. Hello, Lisa. Um, very nice to meet you virtually. Yeah, well, we connected, didn't we? Um, a few years ago, trying to work out how long ago, a few years ago, um, with in a different kind of capacity. Um, and I was actually reminded of you recently when I was talking about who I wanted to talk to on this podcast. And my husband uh, is one of your biggest fans. And um, he was just talking about how impressed he is in terms of your leadership and just knowing the impact you have on teams that you work with, uh, which is why I thought it'd be really great to reach out to you again and, and have this conversation with you. So I was really interesting, interested looking at your profile on LinkedIn because there are little snippets of who you are. And you can only fit so much into a, into a short kind of description on LinkedIn. But some of what you said is about, um, you described the most, most fulfilling part of your role as developing a workforce that takes care and pride in their work. And you strongly believe in valuing the contributions of individuals and leading by example. So I thought you'd be a great person to join me in the conversation about female perspective to employee experience and the difference that being a woman may or may not have for developing work culture um, and this is a great time to have this conversation uh, in light of International Women's Day so um, thank you for joining me today Charlotte um, can we hear a little bit about you and your role and because I know you do more than and we've just been talking off air about your charity work as well so just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, sure. So uh, really kind that your husband remembers me with such fondness and remembers an awful nickname for me, which is great. A lazy <laughs> one. Uh, uh, so I've, gosh, I've been in work since I can remember. So even started work when I was sort of like 13 or 14. So I, I never remember a time of not working. And I was brought up by a very strong, powerful woman. Um, in particular, my mother was very strong, always had a strong work ethic. So I think I was brought up that way. Um, and I've worked in a number of different countries, uh, companies, number of different countries, and in teams of all different sizes from sort of three to nearly 300. Mm. So uh, the size and scale and shape changes, but the things that are consistent are exactly what we talk about. I really value getting the best out of people, mm. um, people getting the best out of me, and, and feeling like you're all in it together feeling like you are one combined unit that is going to maximize on everybody's strengths so that you come out feeling empowered, passionate about what you do, but also you achieve things as a team that, that, that you couldn't possibly achieve on your own, but then you celebrate them as a team as well. Mm. And, and it's just, I've always been shocked by how much it's just putting the people first actually gets you the financial results. So often in a sales role, which I've always been either in a 
sales leadership role or trying to help build a business or scale a business or any of those roles with a heavy focus on the sales lens and the fiscal uh, responsibility area, often it's easy to drive straight down into metrics to drive the business. I've never found that works. I've found the opposite is true. So when you get the people to feel that they trust you, that you're a safe pair of hands for them to share information with, that you are in their camp and you are in it with them mm. and that you will have their back and, and that you will look for areas where they can improve, but you're not going to hold that as harsh judgment. You're going to hold that as, a, okay, how do we help you with some of those areas? Is it something you're going to get better at? Or do we actually find somebody to pair up with you that's really good at that and, and accept the fact you're never going to be good at that? So that's fine. And, and whenever I've done that, I've never had it fail. So I think that's a lot about what I'm about. The bits you talk around about charities and sort of Ned rolls, the Ned rolls came more recently. Mm. Um, but I get a huge amount from those because uh, the reality of what I do is I'm a well-paid person um, and I'm very privileged from that perspective um, and I get to work with a charity in particular which is Homestart where they're not necessarily well-paid but they have very very strong conviction about what they do and very strong purpose and I get a huge amount to learn from that that I can then take in to be grateful for what I have. Mm. So I, I also get a massive sense of pride that I'm doing something in this world that makes me happy, but makes me have a contribution. And I love that because I think that is um, it's a very holistic way to you giving back, but also getting your needs met, isn't it? So that sense yeah. of you're not just driven by one particular purpose, which is working with your company and about making money is it's, it's working with people where you can really provide value for them and I know when we were talking earlier you were talking about you can give us a little bit of your time or a little bit of yourself that makes a massive impact on other people and I think that giving back is huge and and some people feel that they haven't got time necessarily for that but the benefits of doing that not only to the others you know Homestart are going to benefit hugely from your expertise but also and, and your care um, but also just that um, sense of for you you're not just focusing on the work goals and you are connecting with people that really feels fulfilling it feels incredibly rewarding doesn't it when you're doing something that you know is making such a significant difference to people's lives Absolutely. And I think when you were asking me for, is there anything that I thought would be a useful link or a useful mm. book or something along those lines, there is something that I do try and follow. I'm not, I'm not very good at it always, mm. but there's something called Ikigai. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that that's, that's, I probably murdered the name, but um, <laughs> it's basically the Japanese principle of a happy life. And there's a book um, that, that details it really nicely. Um, and it sort of talks about doing what you love, doing what you're good at, doing it what the world needs you to do. And if you can get all those together, you're probably going to be well paid for it. Mm. And that, that piece in the middle is, is pure. It, that's the bit where you are at your best. Mm. You're taking everything that you need as a human being. Mm. And I try and use that. Now, for me, doing what I love is helping people. At my core, I like helping. 
um, whether that means helping a charity, whether that means helping somebody across the road, whether it means helping my children, or whether it means helping my workmates or colleagues. I like helping. I, I set up mentor pods because I like helping. I like to see that I can help someone progress when they're at a stumbling block, because I've been very lucky people have done that for me when I've needed it. Um, doing what I'm good at, I'm very authentically me. I, I'm too old now to be anything else. And I tried those routes when I was younger and they don't really work. So I'm just very unapologetically this, which is why I have blue hair, which changes different colors. It's not because I want to stand out as a particular sort of person. It's just, I like the color blue, so I'll have blue hair. Um, so, and I think because I'm like that, I, managing, team, managing teams and running with teams tends to be what I'm good at because I think then people can see it's okay to, fall over every now and then or or not know how to do something or or not be very good at something absolutely and 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 to also to then challenge challenge that expectation that some companies have for their teams or employees that they have to be good at everything so they're rather than working from a strengths yes. point of view and noticing what you're good at and doing more of that because let's face it when we're all doing stuff that we enjoy and we're good at then you know amazing things happen it's like, well, actually, you're not so good at that. So I'm going to send you on a training program to, to develop that. You or become mediocre at it. Wait. And this is like, you don't need to be great at everything. You need to, you know, surround yourself with people who have sort of complementary skills and they can they can fill the gaps that you have. And if we can all, if everyone in a team is made up of people who are really exceptional at what they do yep. and it complements each other, then that's, that's a perfect team, isn't it? It's a perfect team and a really happy and successful team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I actually really like talking to people that are different to me. Mm. I don't want to talk to people that have the same perspective of me. I want to be challenged. Mm. And I've, I've been wrong a lot of times and I've learned a lot of things and I've been called out for things. I've, I've always thought I was pretty accepting and I, I've, I've always been part of any pride initiative because I feel like everybody should have the right to be themselves and not mm. be judged. I've always been part of the women's initiatives and I'll come on to what I mean by that in a yeah. bit. Um, and because I felt it's important to have that parity and fairness but there's been times where somebody's called something out that I've done and said did you realize when you said that you made me feel this way and and I've been caught as somebody that thinks I'm relatively enlightened but I've been caught out and so I, I, I think it's important to talk from different people's perspectives um, and encourage that and sometimes in the workplace that doesn't always happen no, you no. especially not for women. I think I think women haven't been able to find their voice. Mm. I think they've been given, like I say, the women's initiatives. For me, I've sat in an awful lot of rooms where lots of women have been put in a room together, mm. and we've all been told, right, let's do a focus on women. Now, here's all the things you could do better to get on, and you sort of sit there going, oh god, that means changing myself quite a lot. I'm not sure. And I've got to be a bit more aggressive, I've got to sit like this and have my chin like this and I'm not allowed to do that or fidget or it, and it's actually a huge amount to learn. <laughs> and also why and also why should women learn that? And I think that's exactly why I want to have this conversation because there's been a real push for you know women to have to to change to you know particularly as you're becoming more senior in a company to kind of be seen to be an equal peer to male colleagues, male leaders about as you say having you know how you hold yourself how whether you're assertive or seem to be aggressive you know are you allowed to be emotional how do you speak to people the, everything to do with you know communication style but actually and, and that's that catch, catches 
some women out who end up feeling that they're trying to play a role that is not authentic so it it doesn't come across very well um and also then for some people you you come across as being a bit of a bully and a bit of a boss bossy because it doesn't match up with really who you are and suddenly you're this person telling people what to do and pointing a finger and everything um but if you're I guess on the flip side of that if, if you don't if you're not assertive enough then people see and you get emotion you know you dare to show the fact that you might be upset about something it's like well you're you're seen to be you know too female too weak you know too emotional yeah. you can't cope with the pressure you don't like that thing that's happening and it's suddenly this you get caught between part of society wanting women to fulfill this role in order to fit in and not to be authentic and then on the other hand we're talking about the need to be authentic and to be vulnerable and you know to show emotion and so on but then we're we're judged for that or criticized for that yeah it's it, i think there are certain things like tools mm. so you know how do you best project yourself how do you best you know get what you're trying to say across in the most effective way and and to some degree they're they're genderless right because men and women equally or um or, or in fact people that don't identify as, as any gender yeah gender. Uh, we all as individuals need a way to be able to get across what we're trying to say to the mm. right people in the right way so mm. it could be the, the time frame that I have to do that is limited depending mm. on the busyness of the person I'm talking to so those are tools but fundamentally changing who you are so that you can be more something or other yeah. I, I don't approve I don't really enjoy now some of the best experiences I've had so I talked about a mentor pod that was a result of me going to lots of these big women events Mm. where I just didn't feel like I was getting anything from it Mm. so for some people they get a huge amount from it I totally appreciate and networking if you in those sort of environments some people get masses from it personally Mm. I didn't get an awful lot from it and and I had quite a few women over years from sort of apprentice programs or early in career networks or just coming back after having a baby who wanted some guidance or support or help and I decided actually I had the capacity to mentor seven and that was all the hours I had that without interfering too much with anything else I was doing I could do seven and I could do seven well and and I included myself in that seven so it's six others plus me Mm. And I decided that the best way to do it is actually do it like a pod. So that meant we could all get together. We could individually mentor each other or it could be one on one. You know, so there was just like a little group, a collective almost of work based friends can be from different companies that just decide that you're going to have each other's back a little bit and have a a chat through complex problems. Mm. And that I found hugely rewarding and helpful. Mm. And for some of that time, I was being asked by people earlier in their career for a bit of guidance, advice and help. And then I hit a spot in my career where I was the one struggling. I was going through quite a big personal challenge and I was really struggling. And I actually got very upset and said, look, I I, I cried in front of them on one of our all all together meetings and I cried and, and they were like are you all right and I said oh no ignore this ignore this sorry about this you know I'll turn my camera off it'll be less distracting and they were like what what on earth what shouldn't we be talking about that yes and I was saying oh no it's really unprofessional I'm so sorry about that oh, oh, oh. and and actually somebody just turned around and went what's what's going on I said well I'm, I've just got this thing going on I'm really it's really getting me down actually I, I'm so unprofessionally talking this way and they were like why you help us all the time. We also see that we want to help you. And one of them said to me um, something about writing a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. 
And I have to say, I was, if it had been anyone else saying it to me, I'd have been like, I don't write those kind of things. But because I realized I was at some point mentoring her and she was early in her career and this was important to her, I couldn't poo poo the idea. I had to listen and give it air because it wasn't fair. And I let her talk and I didn't cut in and she talked through why, and she talked through what you're actually doing in your brain by doing that. And I thought, actually, when she got to the end of what she had to say, I realized what she said wasn't stupid. It had an awful lot of weight. Mm. And actually, it, I had no risk in trying it. So I went away and started doing it. And, and it did actually really help me. And it was something that I would have dismissed. But that was an example of a very practical thing that came out of women trying to help other women. Yes. Rather than sort of going away with a lavender sachet. Yes. Women helping other women with a clear purpose rather than you're just female. So we're going to put you in a room together. Yeah. And that's <laughs> when you sort of asked earlier about, um, you know, about women, you know, what is it like to be female experience of work? Um, so uh, I can sum it up probably with um, we're not all one species, so we can't have a block, block thing. You can't just give us one treatment. And then the other thing is bra straps. Um, <laughs> so thing one is, you know, I, I've had my children, and my children have grown up. I therefore do not want to be offered flexible working job shares, part time work. Um, I don't want to leave early to go and pick some up for nursery I, d I don't want all those things I want what other women want of maybe in my position where they want uh, mid-career acceleration I want to go and I'm not full yet of I'm, my ambition's not quite uh, quenched mm. yet I've got ambition and drive I want to do that so give me stretch assignments give me more actually don't give me less when I was younger my children were younger I took my foot off the gas. My husband put his foot on the gas and we had a different way of doing it. So at different times in my life and stages, I haven't wanted the same thing. And I think I feel at the moment incredibly sorry for women that have decided for whatever reason they don't want to have children, but then are judged probably unconsciously between the ages of probably well let's be honest 16 to you're practically 50 yeah. <laughs> as being a potential flight risk for having a baby mm. they've decided that's not their job mm. that's not their purpose and that's not what they want then actually they they must have to spend quite a lot of time sort of trying to go no no I know I look like I could have children but I don't want them you know that yes and it also really highlights a challenge for companies in terms of you know, when we think about employee experience, that experience, and I know I've, I've talked in other conversations around, it's so personal, mm. but perhaps more so for women who are, may want children or may not want children or have, or may take the bulk of the childcare responsibility if they do have children uh, or who may be going through the menopause and actually just changing what they view about you know how they feel about themselves let alone the rest of the world and how companies can begin to think about employee experience from a you know bearing in mind that there are potentially a lot of women in that organization who all have a very unique take on what that experience feels like looks like they want it to be for them yeah 
yeah, I, I think being able to provide that choice is really important because I, I, I think unfortunately when children are young, women tend to be the primary caregiver. Mm. And also then when our parents get older, it still seems that women are the primary caregiver. Mm. So uh, I'm, I have a mother-in-law that needs a lot of help. I'm extremely lucky to have a very strong marriage with somebody who sees the world like I see the world, which is 50% of the children are his, mm. as in, you know, like not, not half my children are his and half someone else's. I mean, yeah. um, out of our children, he's their yeah. father, I'm their mother. So we yeah. have divided responsibility out of our family. We have divided responsibility. So mm. I consider myself very lucky that I'm married to someone that has those views that therefore takes his share of the responsibility and therefore his share of time off work to go and do things and his share of time off to go and um, you know make sure my mother-in-law's eaten for example mm. but I know there's a lot of people out there that haven't got that men and women but more typically women mm. um, and I think that that bears some thinking about yeah but I also think if if more men are encouraged to be able to be open about those things as well better the the thing I recommended to you about a, a lovely lady called Jane Frankland who wrote the book Insecurity um which is around attracting women into cybersecurity to keep us all safer her research does a huge amount to talk about different um places in the world where the balance is is more equal and she talks a lot about Scandinavian countries. And I think because I had per parental leave, mm. I think the responsibility felt more shared. Mm. But I think that's something we can drive through working culture anyway, is by encouraging people to have more open conversations, maybe getting men to actually say that they're going to go and take a day off to go and see their sons play or whatever, and making that just normal practice. And at quite senior levels in an organisation, the more fair we'll make it. And I guess that's part of something else that we were talking about earlier about how to make this all just feel this is normal life. This is kind of everyday yeah. life. This is not some special, right, let's put men in the limelight and say actually they need to be doing things differently or doing things more or, um, you know, how do we redress this balance, which doesn't feel necessarily um equally split all the time. Not that it has to be equal. You know, it doesn't feel split in the right ways that fits, fits everyone um and I think sometimes come to say right yeah we're going to tackle this problem we're going to have this initiative <laughs> you know we're going to have a day where it's all about dads or something and it's not really about that is it it's about just that sense of having conversations day in day out just normal conversations with people around us yeah. and asking them how they're doing and whether they you know need to what's going on with their children do they need to take any time to go and pick them up or see them in something or and following those threads if when people have that if you're asking the right questions and they're mentioning oh yeah my my daughter or my son's in a whatever match or they're at a play or you know there's an open evening or whatever it might be it's like well are you going to go you know and, and actually asking them following up afterwards how was it so you so you so you're prioritizing that sense of this is important for you to do that not mm. just be here at work and I think it, it does have a place at work. So I think for certain people, work and home life is very separate. Mm. 
for me, it's never been that because I just always had too many children, too much going on, frankly. <laughs> so if you wanted to have a conference call at seven o'clock at night, I'm absolutely fine with it. But I will be cooking and you will be seeing me chopping. And I don't care. That's yes. absolutely fine. But you're going to have to get comfortable because now you're in my zone and this is what I need to do at this time. Mm. So, so I do think for some of us, it's very much is something that is a work challenge as much as a personal challenge. We spend a lot of time at work. I spend a lot of hours at work, whether I'm in an office or working like this more virtually or whether I'm indeed just looking up research in the evening and then I ping somebody because they happen to be online and we can mm. do that. Um, we spend a lot of time at work. So, so actually making it a place that feels more like something of normal life is really mm. important. We had a great example. Um, I have a team, it's heavy on women. Um, because a lot of my contacts and a lot of my the people I know in my network are female mm. so um, I've got a predominantly female team and um, a couple of men in that team as well and we kind of got into this chat and I don't know how it came about but we ended up having a chat about menopause and it was it, I think it was something like I was probably hot or something going oh god I'm having a hot one and then someone probably said oh it's not the menopause is it and I think it must have been something like always jokey like that yeah and through a result of having this conversation I was saying oh, do you know what if when I get to that point I'm not there yet I don't think but when I do my mum's on HRT she calls it the youth elixir that sounds great to me I'm all in for that and I sort of like jokingly said it and then um the one of the chaps on the call was saying oh well my you know I I've seen women go through this and I would hope hope wholeheartedly encourage somebody try and get help when they can get help because let's be honest life's hard enough so we all had this general discussion and didn't really think anything of it. And I think we went on to the general forecast call. Well, you know, then, oh, by the way, better cover the numbers off. Um, and, and it just felt very natural because the team is very natural with each other and very caring for each other, actually. Um, and it was a few months later, someone came to me on a one-to-one -one and said, I just want to say thank you for that conversation we had you way back when. Um, because I was going through a very difficult time working out how to handle my menopause. Mm. And she said, I was advised to take um, HRT and I thought I shouldn't do that. I felt it was my responsibility to like eat better diet, do more exercise. And I think she was really, you know, giving herself quite a hard time thinking this is something she had to just deal with, fix and not talk about. And she said, because we had that conversation that day, it sort of shunted me forward into actually, yeah, why am I pushing this boulder up a hill when I don't need to be? This is one thing I don't need to do. And in her case, um, she went and took HRT patches. And this was several months later. And she said, I feel completely back to normal. So I'm not advocating people all go out there and get HRT. I know it's not right for everyone. I'm not medically trained in any capacity, but it just was it was a conversation that I almost didn't really remember having and I remember sort of sitting there going I don't know did we talk about, I remember we vaguely talk about stuff like that but it just was because it was so organic in the team yes and that's and that's and that's the important bit isn't it for for things to do with that you know when we talk about employee experience our experience is just how we are who we are in this moment and exactly. and, and that is that is supposed to be natural the more authentic that can be so if you want to make a comment if you want to talk about this this is actually front of mind right now mm. you know whatever that is if it happens much more naturally then it just the conversation happens it moves on and then you get on with whatever like your numbers 
rather than this whole it has to be a special event and we have to make sure <laughs> you know we are having this specific day or this week or whatever in celebration of and I'm not dissing those because actually those are also very valuable but it's got to be you can't just have a kind of that bolt on it's got to be part of your integral practice which is um you know during the day at any opportunity you just have natural conversations about yeah. what's going on for you and what's going on for me what I'm what I think is really interesting is the kind of the joke about um you know a lot of these conversations will come off off the back of a joke so you're having a hot flush and yeah could it be the menopause and I wonder how many men listen to this think actually if I made that joke I'd be shot down <laughs> and it's really interesting about again how we create a culture where we know what the boundaries are like is it okay if a woman makes that joke but not a male or oh. you know how does that there are no rules around that and, and I think that's almost why some men in particular and some women but they stay well away from any of this stuff because they're just worried about saying the wrong thing and, and causing offense and it's such a good point so when um I think it was last year wasn't it when um the world sort of woke up to racial inequality yes. in a very significant way because of what had happened in America with George Floyd and others mm. and I remember at that time um my saying to my manager look I really feel we need to do something for the workforce to acknowledge this I know lots of people are but I feel like we need to mm. and at that time he felt uncomfortable being a white middle-aged man that he felt equipped to have that conversation mm. and I said look I don't mind giving it a go <laughs> it was quite a big audience as well I said I don't mind giving it a go because I feel that we should and I at that time talked to a lot of my black colleagues to say how tell me how you're feeling I want to do sensitivity to this I want to do a sensitive job mm. and I'm a white person that actually hasn't experienced racism mm. so I really want to understand and um, there's this beautiful image that came up um, when I was searching for managing conversations different things like that and it was a balloon dog stood in amongst a round of upturned pins oh wow that describes perfectly yeah. how he felt and how a to a degree I felt and how I think a lot of men feel talking about typically traditional female subjects which yeah. I would argue because a lot of men are married to women mm. um but in in the workplace you know if I bring this up am I am I treading on a landmine mm. I don't want to now what I found from doing that activity was um I, I spoke to like I say a lot of my black colleagues who said actually we don't care that you're a white woman that hasn't experienced racism as long as you go and educate yourself so we're not having the exhaustion of having to tell you what's difficult for us so frequently and as long as you're not expecting to put that extra burden on us and as long as you're fair in what you're doing uh, then you're you're the right person if you've got stage to be able to do it you do it Mm. and and I did realize that that education is really important but I also found some great materials um uh, around managing difficult conversations and I I think at that time and I still believe it is it's okay to say the wrong thing that almost like the worst thing you can say is nothing if you say something but you say the wrong thing as long as when somebody feels empowered to say hang on a moment that left me feeling bad as long as you then don't keep doing it and mm. you try to change your behavior mm. then you'll learn from it and that's okay mm. I think staying silence is normally the wrong thing 
Yes. Um, but it's also, it's beholden on all of us to point out to that person that says the wrong thing in a passion, in a compassionate way. Mm. You know, because and, and it's that accountability, isn't it? I think when we, yesterday I was doing some, um, I was doing a workshop with some managers around um, actually being a, an ideal team player. And part of that was about how to have tricky conversations. And it was exactly that, you know, when you notice something's not right, we tend to shy away from it because we know something potentially could be a bit awkward you don't know how it's going to land um or maybe we've said something in the past and had a bad, bad experience or observed someone else and then that's the, that sense to move away from it you know we just try mm. the self-protection mode and, and i don't want to be uh potentially opening a can of worms whereas actually when we don't when we're not sure it's okay to just tread carefully and say i might if i get if i say something offensive I'm sorry, I put my hands up. I'm not necessarily an expert on this. Or I hope you don't mind me joking. Or I hope you don't mind me saying, or please do correct me. So you're kind of laying out the ground to, to invite people to feedback and yeah. help educate you. But you've got at least the courage to, to have the conversation and to show you care enough. So as you say, not saying, yeah. saying nothing is by far the worst thing because that gap causes our imaginations to run wild. They're not saying anything because they think X, Y, and Z. Well, actually, they're not saying the absolutely. They're probably completely aligned with what we think, or potentially very um, sympathetic to what we what we're feeling. But they're not. They don't know how to communicate that, and so therefore they keep quiet. And and I think to your point earlier, it, it's so important that we just make work this place that you can be safe, mm. it's a safe zone to do your best ask for help, mm. not be reprimanded when you ask for help, not be reprimanded when you say something that may get slightly wrong sometimes. If you make that safety zone and you know that everyone's got your back and, and you're supported, you will achieve more things. Mm. No one achieved wonderful things by being safe, did they? I mean, exactly. nobody, nobody said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not gonna push my boundaries at all. Uh, and, and then created something amazing that that just doesn't that's not how life works we living and taking risks is a little bit what life needs yeah and to your point earlier if uh, not having that as a big organizational construct mm. having things that support that is far better than those big one-off days yes because I do know and I notice more increasingly we have metrics um around balance and around diversity but the reality is in the UK, the metrics we have are on gender. They're not really yeah. other things. We kind of look at it and go, oh, we should probably have a bit of racial diversity, but we don't measure it. Mm. We, we look at men and women. Mm. Um, as a really binary thing, because also there's no they bucket in that. Exactly. So, so already we just miss off a whole chunk yeah. of identity. Yeah. Um, but so we look at how many women have you got, how many men have you got? And actually the worst thing that's come out of that is quite a lot of men feeling fairly undervalued mm. so so there's a lot of men out there that have been in the workplace for 20 odd years 20 years plus have delivered well that may actually through no fault of their own had an unconscious bias in their favor and they some of them are feeling fairly penalized yes and, and they're kind of like well no point in going for that job it's going to be a woman because we haven't met the quota and and that that's a pretty tricky thing and that's where some of those organizational constructs really don't lend themselves to a very nice working environment I couldn't agree more and I've and I've had very similar conversations recently with men who who just don't feel that there's any point in trying to do what they actually they really want to do because they are 
up against someone who is going to be favoured because of the colour of their skin or their gender or whatever it might be. Um, and that's that's really hard. It's putting all the barriers. People trying to do the right thing, they're going about it in a way which is actually putting up more and more barriers. And I, I think if you are purpose, if you have a very big problem with diversity, mm. so for example, you you just don't have any, mm. and you've decided as a company you're going to do something about it, then I think be open about that. Be yeah. open about the fact that we're going to we need to change and address this balance. And what we're going to do is for a period of time, we're going to over-rotate in this particular area on this particular subject. Mm. And I think people are quite accepting. It's when they don't know where it's going to impact them. Yeah. So that then they they then get feeling very defeated. Mm. I think most people want to do the right thing. I found some of the most vocal people and most supportive people for women in their careers are fathers of daughters mm. they, they are particularly because they see it through a very personal lens so they realize it mm. and I've also seen where I've seen cases of maybe um inappropriate sort of innuendo style um commentary I've seen they are the people that typically are the bravest to step in mm. um and to go well well hang on that's that's not cool and uh, so I think there is a need for the balance, very much so. So what do you think in terms of... How do of we fix it? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> well, I can say, if you've got an answer about how to fix it... Yeah, no problem. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know I was just interested in terms of, um, you know, going back to this training I was doing yesterday, there were uh, some women in the room who were talking about the fact that being emotionally smart we're talking a little bit about emotional intelligence um having empathy and so on and they said oh and we're they were doing some self-assessments and um we were just discussing kind of what they found and what they wanted to work and what they felt their strengths were and they said oh yeah we do all that stuff this stuff naturally we check in with people we know who's going through uh what challenges we automatically look out and ask how we can help and and you know and so on and the guys in the room were um, struggled a bit more with that, and they might have uh, there were there were different things that they were very strong on, but they they were struggling a little bit more with just having a bit more social awareness and that that empathy in terms of being able to put themselves in someone else's shoes or just noticing the signs that mm. someone might not be okay, and I guess that's part of the the value of having a diverse team isn't it that you've got you know we all bring something different and it's not that men don't have um emotional intelligence they certainly do but they just have different strengths you know so they they women might be better at empathy um but i think it's, it's, it's that diversity is really really important so that we can and we can make the most of people's different strengths and not have to try and ignore those certain aspects that aren't being covered or just to try and kind of gloss over them and just hope we're doing our best yeah I think it's I think diversity is really critical I think if 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 I could design sort of like the perfect environment for me to thrive it is where I'm accepted for being who I am mm. um and I'm empowered to some degree for it mm. um where I ha I'm totally okay to have an off day and um because there'll be plenty of good days to come mm. you know I, there will be times when I'll perform brilliantly and it's, it's okay every now and then for me to not perform particularly well. Um, I, I, where I can talk to the people around me knowing that they respect me 
um, and, it, and enough to actually, if they think I'm having a hard time for whatever reason, or I've told them for them to actually just ask the extra question or like, are you all right? Mm. Um, and also for me to be able to say, no, actually I'm not okay. Um, I'm going through this or this is happening or I'm, I'm, I'm a, I've got a work challenge right in front of me. I don't really know how to deal with it. I've never dealt with this before. I need a bit of help or it's where I'm not particularly strong and I need somebody's second opinion on it because I don't feel comfortable that I'm the best person for that. Mm. Um, I want, I, that's what I want from an environment. If I have that um, and I can, and, and for me, I, I'm, I have ambition. So I also want to see that there's a way for me to meet that ambition that I like a little bit of pressure uh, I, I enjoy working in a frenetic, I, I like pressured environments where things are a little bit broken mm. personally. So I get a lot of drive and motivation for that. If I've got that, I'm really happy and I'm passionate, driven, caring. You know, I, I feel really good about myself. And that's what I want to encourage and build for others. That's what I look for and what I want others to have. The number one thing I hate is when somebody tells me how much money I can earn. And because I keep, and I, I get it, I, it, it always happens. And, and I've often said, I'm not driven by money. And the reality is I'm genuinely not. Mm. Now that's not to say I don't like having money. It's mm. not to say that I want to earn less because of it. I don't want to earn less than what I'm worth doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't wake up any day of the week ever and go, can't wait to earn a pile of cash today yeah that doesn't drive me at all yeah I also don't really care how much somebody else has got in their bank I genuinely don't if you've got multiple millions or you've got five pound fifty I, I don't care <laughs> I don't see it as the measure of you in any way mm-hmm. so so the things that matter to me are all very much about nurture care inspiration guidance leadership thoughts and um, creativity and diversity and nothing to do with the hard metrics that people try and tell you um, when they're trying to get you to come to their company like come over here you can earn loads of cash oh okay and and when you when you're describing you know for you you're that experience you're describing um sounds awesome in terms of what you're looking for in a, in a in a company and what i'm curious to know is whether you think you're you're more likely to get that uh, those wants, those needs met when you are working more with women, more with men, or does it make no difference? So we're talking kind of about, you know, do women provide um, a slightly different take on employee experience in terms of how they set about creating that culture? Or is it, does the gender have no difference? Is it just, if you've got very um, switched on guys that you can have exactly the same, you know, being authentic and being able to say, I don't know, can you help me? I'm having an off day. Can you, does that make a difference? Um, to me, I think it does make a difference. I like, I do like to work with more balance. Mm. Um, now that the difficulty is not all men and not all women are equal, right? So yeah. some men are very aggressive, some are very uh, money driven, some are not at all, some are really caring, mm. some are um, very gentle. Um, we're all very different, but I would say my happiest environments to date have been where there's a bit more equality and a bit more of different different faces. Yeah. Um, and I mean that from all different angles. I mean, um, uh, all different aspects of diversity, mm-hmm. racial, um, sexual orientation, uh, uh, gender, yeah. uh, just, yeah. just 
in where there is a mixture of thoughts because people have got a different living um, uh, perspective. Mm. That That's where I personally have found it better. Having said that, one of the best bosses I've ever had um, was a man. And fantastic, mm. absolutely fantastic. And he was somebody that uh, get, bred that authentic sort of self at work and also bred that environment that was open and safe to talk. Mm. So I don't think it, it depends on, the leader doesn't have to be a man or a woman. But if you see that there are enough people around you that look different, you're probably going to feel balanced. And if that feeling is there that you're being encouraged to talk and then not reprimanded for what you say, but actually listen to, mm. you generally get a sense. The ones I hate are when you're looking on LinkedIn and you see a photo and it's just all men at a football stadium. And you're just like, oh, definitely can't work there. Yeah. Um, or indeed, like all women in a hairdressing salon or something. Yeah. Those kind of stereotypical yes. things make me yeah. like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, does it sound to me? It sounds as if um, actually, male, female, it doesn't really make any difference. Um, women don't necessarily make a difference in terms of creating that culture. It's about uh, having, it's about diversity. So in terms of what women can offer, is there anything you think in particular that they offer that is different? Or do you think actually it's not about your gender, it is about um, your particular skill set, your knowledge, your ability to create psychological safety, your ability to be a team player and so on, which is not related to your gender or sexuality or anything else i think our differences and are largely from our experiences our life lived experiences or however the term is nowadays it's like the experiences we have gone through shape who we are and how we are and how we think about things and i think with when i was saying earlier about women are still primary caregivers mm. i guess women in my opinion the ones i've met tend to come from an angle of understanding that and therefore offer up a little bit more of that nurture and maybe a bit of a, this is a hard day because of these things. Mm. Um, I think, um, like I, I talked before about um, talking to my black colleagues, I had a real surprise, which was the fact that one person I was talking to, her parents were the Windrush generation. So actually came here um, 50 years ago with just literally the clothes on their back. Mm. So actually her position was understanding the world from a, a or understanding the job I'm in from a different income perspective. Mm. So hers was very much about, she was the first person in her family to buy a house. She was the first person in her family to have a child going to university mm. because they just didn't, you know, she didn't come from a, a wealth of heritage. You know, she, her parents hadn't died and left her a small fortune that that hadn't happened to her. Mm. So they, they, they that, really taught me something that really made me sort of appreciate actually yeah not everybody who is say be in the same income bracket is necessarily feeling as wealthy from it yes so so I think I think it's about the the experience you come with and what you've lived mm. I think that denotes who you are and changes you and that really adds then to the value of um, mentoring doesn't it because I'm a, yeah. like you talked about earlier I'm a fan of mentoring and that ability to provide new opportunities to kind of open doors and to explain how to navigate your way going through that door and just to let just let people know what possibilities are out there which they might not necessarily see or be able to 
picture themselves being part of those future possibilities because as you say it's never been part of my history that's something I've never I've never thought about going to university I've never thought about um, you know being promoted and being a whatever leader or and and actually I think when we start to um, recognize people who have the right values and the right I guess the the right skill set in terms of uh, the characteristics of being a team player and, and creating the being part of a culture we want to have at work when we notice those people and we can nurture them up through the organization to a leadership level to a to a manager level where they can start having that impact on other people and, yeah. the, and, and it's about them creating the right the right culture we're just having the right people to join those dots I think there's an element with that as well that is beholden on management to actually get to the bottom of who whose idea was it whose mm. great thought process was it who mm. actually made the difference because I often find the quieter people of which I don't put myself in that bucket <laughs> <laughs> but the quieter people are often the really smart ones in the room mm. um, and they're often the ones that get overlooked and in certain cases, especially with technical people, they're the ones that will sit quietly delivering brilliantly amazing outcomes, but they're not shouting about it. And, and therefore they don't necessarily get the promotion or they don't get mm. recognition. Mm. And I think that's where all managers need to step up to really make sure they elevate those people because it's easy to forget someone when they're quiet. Yes, very easy. And, and I know I'm one of those people that is, I'm chatty. So, you know, opportunity to give feedback. I'm straight in there on a web, on like a Zoom call or whatever call, a WebEx call, whatever. I'm the first to go, oh yeah, I've got some ideas or I've got this. And actually um, <clears throat> a good um, manager or a good uh, leader or facilitator of those kind of things is the one that will have me say what I need. So that's done but then open it that bit longer to get those other people, encourage those other people. Yes. So I'm curious to know if there's any advice you would give to, um, or I guess your observations, which in a sense can be good advice for other people to take on about women, the your experience of, being female, what impact that can have on leadership. So in terms of, if you were, if there are women in an organization thinking, do I go for a position that where I can be at leadership level or a senior management level where I can really impact on other people? Should I be going for that? What should I be promoting about myself that says, you know, let's other people know that I have got real value to offer. What, what might some of those things be that I can perhaps offer a work culture that other people may not be able to offer or is there anything different at all is it just about being individual so actually female leadership in your experience and your observation doesn't necessarily add anything different it's just about being the right person um so i think that if I'm a company thinking about what can I do to create a culture that is attractive, and especially right now with we hear a lot about the great resignation, mm. and there's quite a lot of very experienced females leaving the workforce for a number of different reasons that have been caused largely by a, a kind of sense of awakening over this last couple of years. Mm. Um, 
first of all, I think that there does need to be, managers need to look down into the organization about who could be pulled up yeah. um, into different roles and given different opportunity. Um, there is a lot of times a job rep will be open and people will go towards it. And the, sometimes the ones that don't go towards it. And I think there is stats to support that typically females don't tend to go for a role mm -hmm. as, as a male for the same role. Um, I think that can be managed by management to some degree. You know, I think a good manager can say, what do I need for this whole team? So I do this a lot when I look at my whole team. What have I got missing? Where's the weakness in the team? Where's the strength in the team? Where's the bit? What do we need? What does that person need to not do just what do I need from them? But what what can they bring that will make the whole team better mm. and improve the whole team? And so I think there's that is something that we should teach all managers to do mm. so by default a lot of managers we promote them and then we don't give them any guidance support and tell them how to do it and we just say well you were and in a lot of cases it's like you were a great salesperson now you can manage the team and it's a completely different skill set mm. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and there's gaps oh. I think sometimes they might not they might have some gaps that they need um some support with to develop so they can move up to the other uh, to the next uh, rung but I think sometimes as you said the those gaps are more about your emotional state which is about anxiety like I only meet out of those criteria that they're saying that they want that there's next level to have I only meet two of them so I can't possibly go for it whereas uh, a guy who might meet two of them will say well I can blag that or I'll I've got the confidence to you know I can just I can really just talk about those two and I'm just convinced that I can develop the other three yeah. And, um, and there, there is there is research around that, as you, as you said, and I think so nurturing people, mentoring people is not just about what their gaps are in terms of uh, skills and knowledge and so on. It's actually just about confidence, isn't it? It's just that about their ability to be clear about what the strengths are and what they can offer and what their unique, unique contribution um, and, and to, to give them that confidence and, and to get over that anxiety. Uh, yeah, and I think I think also one of the things that I certainly remember doing in my earlier career, I'm a bit better at it now, but I've never been brilliant, is being very clear, concise and fairly direct with feedback. Mm. That, that So in a team, sort of like when you've got a team, you typically have a one-to-one -one and you're trying to tell somebody about their performance. It took me a very long time to be really direct mm. because I, I, I didn't want to hurt the person's feelings. So certainly, uh, and certainly very new and inexperienced leaders really need that support because actually that if you're not direct enough, that person's not really clear with what, what your expectations are. Though, mm. so, you know, that it does take a while to feel comfortable that what you're saying is fair and, and you've, you've sounded it out and you're given a clear action plan on how that person can, um, you know, improve that area. Yeah. So for, uh, I know I found that a real struggle. I think there is more work that can be done with leaders to help them do that and, get, and make it much more fact-based. And um, certainly I know I don't take criticism particularly well. Mm. So for me, when somebody is gonna give me some criticism or critique, mm. I, I actually need to hear it. And then I almost need it written down because what I tend to do if someone will say something to me and they might say good thing good thing good thing bad thing good thing and then I leave going that bad thing I'm awful everything is ruined my life is over I have made a complete mess of this yeah um 
and, and I would sit almost all evening birching myself. The good thing, good thing, good thing, good thing, I've completely dismissed because that bad thing is mm. so big in my head. Mm. So, um, and so I'm the sort of person that if you're going to give me some challenging feedback, mm. I want to, I do want to know it, but I'm almost better to have it said to me and then have it written down almost in a constructive way of this is how I think we can move forward together. Or these are things that I think would help or, you know, that for me would feel a lot more useful. Yes. Now imagine if a manager of a team knew their team well enough to know what each person's preference is for feedback, the conversations, the development that could happen and that sort of increasing that, that self-awareness because rather than, you know, I can imagine a manager meeting your needs in terms of giving the feedback and then writing it down and then well, maybe I need to do that for everybody and then someone else gets it written down it's like how dare they write that down why are they not having this proper conversation with me um but, but I think you're you know you're you have very good self-awareness Charlotte and I think so you know what works best for you a lot of people don't quite know and they're trying to work it out and yeah managers need to have the confidence to go down that journey or along that journey with the the their people in their team their employees to work out what feels best, what they need, what they don't like, uh, what helps it feel better. And then to make sure that they're meeting those individual needs rather than this is my blanket approach to how I give feedback. Yes, yeah. Um, I think I know, touch wood, mm -hmm. I think I know my team well enough because they're a small enough team mm -hmm. to know how the best way to give them feedback or to broach uh, a difficult subject. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes very much more difficult when you have bigger teams. So when I had a very large team, obviously I couldn't know them all. Um, but then that's about instilling into your management team so they can instill into their management team exactly. what your expectation is, which is everybody that is in your organization is there because they chose to be there. And yeah. they actually every day are choosing to be there yeah. because they, every day you've got an option. I either can go to work, yeah. I can give up this job or I can go to another job. Mm. So, so everybody's there because they're choosing to be there so then how do I make that experience a really nice experience for them and and so that's when I, I do think it's hard when you've got big teams but you've got managers for a reason so empower them it's one of the things I hate is when there were managers put in place but they're not empowered oh, so God, actually yeah. the manager above them just goes round them yeah. and you just think well what's the point in that role then that's just actually money that you're wasting and part of that is about putting the person into that role without the investment and support. And so they fail. And then we have to just keep going around them rather than <laughs> providing them with the with everything that they need so that they can do their job well. If, if they're I'm not being clear on the expectation of that person, exactly. like what I want you to do with your team is to do this. These yeah. are the sort of things that I need to get for these reasons. Mm -hmm. um, you may approach it very differently. You know, I don't mind how you do it, but I need to see these outcomes for me to do my job. Yeah, that conversation is very rarely had. And that empowerment piece about making it very clear and again about expectations that with your role, this is what I'm expecting you to achieve. But a significant part of that or whatever proportion that is, has got to be around looking after people, because yes. if we look after people, then, as you said, right at the start of this conversation, the money bit happens. So it, it fails. But we don't, but we don't tend to have the permission or the explicit expectations around, yes, I expect you to spend 80% of your role doing that, but 20% doing this, or whatever your whatever the, the timing is, but 
you've got to put time in your diary that is protector time that is nothing but looking after people whatever that might look like and when people start to put that right up in the part of their job description near the top then that starts to have that knock-on effect yeah I, I totally agree is there anything else before we wrap up that you think actually I just need to share this with everybody because I think this would make a difference or this is some something I've experienced or observed that I'd really like to to add to the conversation today um you talked about the fact that I've got a fairly clear sense of what makes me tick Mm. Um, and I I think I do I don't not 100% but I think I've I've done some work on it though and I got some amazing advice from a a a woman at Cisco who uh I won't name her because I think she'd be embarrassed to be named, but she was a, an amazing inspiration. And she, what she said to me is, um, I'm 40, well, I was 45 at the time, I'm not now, <laughs> but I was then. And she I said to her, you know, I don't really know where I'm going. I don't really know what my next step is. And I'm at that point where I kind of, what do I do and how to, and she was brilliant. She said to me, okay, this is going to be a hard exercise, but imagine you, when do you, how old do you, want to work till probably about 65 roughly so what do you want to do at 65 and I was like I haven't got a clue I don't even know what I want to do next you know let alone 65 mm-hmm. and she said well spend the time to work it out because if you work out what you want to be at 65 you're probably only five jobs away mm-hmm. you're only five jobs away what are the things that you need to get out of those jobs what are the skills you need to hone what are the things you need to learn so that those five jobs away, you can do that. Mm-hmm. And it could be you go and work full time in a charity, or it could be that you go and do some significant project. Like I would love to do something about fixing a big problem, like the fact that we've got displaced people all over the world, and yet we've got enough homes and landmass to put them in them. Mm-hmm. And and yet it's a massive problem because you have to go across multiple countries. Mm-hmm. I do believe those things can be fixed. Mm-hmm. I would love to be part of that by the age of sixty-five. Mm. so if I if I what have I got to contribute to that well I've got skills today you know I know how computer systems work I know how networks work I know how to roughly keep them secure I know you know I've, I've got some building blocks but then I've got some gaps mm. uh, so I probably don't know enough about international law and that might be really important so how would I get that experience and exposure maybe I can volunteer for a charity that does something in that space so that was a hugely transformative piece of advice for me that made me sit long and hard and think about what makes me happy. Mm. Um, and that's when I started getting involved in um, more like NED roles to complement what I was doing, because that's when I felt that, yeah, there were some aspects of what I want to do with my life that I'm going to need to get from not just my working day job. Now, what has happened as a result of that is those things actually make me a better individual in my working day job because I can understand what it feels like to sit around a table and be in a different role Mm. I can feel when my customers have a challenge it may be a challenge that I've faced before from a different perspective Mm. so I would say that's a really good thing to do for anybody Mm. to know you know what is it if it's if it's not money so in my case it's not then what is it yeah and, and it does it does take some time. And I'd also say that, um, as I mentioned earlier, the icky guy. Yes. Isn't that right? If you can, anyone can do it. You just sort of sit and put in there what my passion, my vision, my profession. Once you get that in perfect balance and you're in the middle, you're like happy. You're just happy. 
you don't know you you're being challenged so you're happy mm. you, you you're a better person you're bringing more happiness into the workplace and then it starts to fuel other people so I do think those sort of like looking at yourself in the whole is really important and that's something we can all do relatively easily I love everything you just said it, and it really resonates with me um just a very holistic approach and you've you know you're talking about purpose and your vision, your strengths and so on. And that's all about meeting, recognizing your emotional needs and meeting your emotional needs, which, um, and part of that is about knowing what you want for the future and being driven by that. And so many people I hear say, I'm kind of, I've been doing this role for forever. I'd really love to be doing that, but but there's always this kind of like, it's this massive void. And I love the way you've just described, you can fill that void. You can just take one step at a time once you know what it is that, that really drives you. So it's that, it's that sense of passion and purpose, which I think um, is so important in, in our going to work day job, but also thinking yeah. long term about the future. And then testing what you're going to do with people that really care about you. Mm. So I, I've sought advice about my career from different people. And what I've realised is you have to go to those people that truly care about you because somebody might care about kudos and someone else might care about money and mm. what they're doing is looking at what you're saying through the lens of what they care about mm. but someone that truly cares about you I have to say my husband is one and my mother's another um and then I have a couple of friends that I'd also go to that are ex-work colleagues that I consider friends but my mother is a brilliant resource for me because my mum burnt out so my mum actually had a career that then got abruptly stopped with a complete breakdown wow. and then had to rebuild herself again and did. So I, I see that she understands what it's like to completely stop and then have to redo it again, um, like a bit like a phoenix. Mm. And she will listen to me. She will then write down what I say and then she will read back to me the bits that I was saying. And so by the nature of it, she'll say, well, you spent 85% of the conversation talking about this generally um, and 10% <clears throat> talking about this other thing. So that 10% thing, that's probably not the biggest problem there. And, you know, having that is, that's really useful. Wise really. woman. You've got, some, you've got some strong women in your family, Charlotte. I do. I've got some strong daughters, um, some, a strong mother, a strong sister. Yeah. I, I, equally, I'm very well supported by a brilliant husband. Yes. Um, and, and again, that, yeah, and that comes back to the holistic, everything is, is, is looking at the big picture, isn't it? So you can't be amazing on your own. You have to have those people around you who... Um, who get it who support you in whatever form that is um, yeah, exactly. you, is that you know you don't have one person being brilliant whether yeah. that's in a family in an organization or whatever you have the people it's, it's all about it's a team and that's yeah. what this whole thing's about isn't it Charlotte it's been amazing talking to you today if people wanted to touch base with you ask you something um is that something that you're happy for people to do and if so how's how's the best way for them to contact you probably LinkedIn yeah, I, I, I'm pretty responsive on LinkedIn. Um, it does sometimes take me a few days. I think the job market's quite hot at the moment. So a lot, there's a lot to, you know, of pings that everyone's getting, I'm pretty sure. Um, but probably on LinkedIn. And, and I, I really welcome it because I love different perspectives. I love continuing the conversation. So yeah, yeah, that's probably the best way. And thank you for having me because I've really enjoyed it.
Thank you very much. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Water Cooler. If you love it, I would really appreciate a five-star review as this helps more people to find the podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you get notifications every time we publish a new episode. If something in this episode has got you chomping at the bit or if you'd like to discuss the topics covered in this podcast further, please do get in touch and we can continue the conversation. You can find me at lisa at itstimeforchange.co.uk. My details are in the show notes. If you'd like to be kept in the loop on what I'm getting up to, I publish a monthly roundup. To sign up, head over to itstimeforchange.co.uk forward slash join the club. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to chat with on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. So if you have a story to tell or know of anyone who would be an inspiration to talk to, please do get in touch. And lastly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear about on the podcast. So drop me a line for all suggestions. And that way I can make sure that what I'm talking about is most helpful. See you next time. Thank you.